This is Coder Radio, episode 270 for August 17th, 2017. everyone and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris and joining us, he's back this week after what probably was a heck of a set of circumstances, I would imagine. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. I am back but I am in the Northeast right now. So well, all I know right now is that you are traveling. The last week we had missing equipment and that you are still on the road today. This is the only thing I can imagine, because this is literally all the information I have, is that you are on the run from Florida, something flipped, and you got out of there. And so now you're just making do on the road, which I kind of respect. This sounds kind of fun. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I'm, I'm up north for my mother's birthday. Oh, that is not nearly as uh, entertaining as... Yes. Uh, I, and we just had a little little snafu with the airline and my luggage, so... <sighs> you know, I, I, went I, I pictured Staples. something... Oh, man, I was just... I was yeah. looking for something a lot more dramatic. No, I, but I am... I am flying out of New Jersey. Is it good to feel... Is but it good I, to be back? Did you miss Christy? I mean, it's good, right? It feels good. It, it was a little weird, actually. I was sitting on the beach, and he just kind of showed up. <laughs> yeah, see, all these great Chris Christie jokes have been coming yeah, up since I you moved out. I them all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then I'm going to be flying to North Carolina. So we'll, next week's show is going to be from North Carolina. Really? What are you doing in North Carolina? You know what? I just love me some barbecue. Well, that's not that's good enough reason right there. I'm doing a little traveling next week, too, although it won't affect this show. Uh, but yeah, so I'll be. I just want to mention right here at the top, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. If you're going to be in the Oregon area Monday, August 21st, 2017, and uh, you're going to be watching the total solar eclipse of the heart 2017 edition, let's hang out. And I don't know, I have, I have like a tentative planned lo- meetup location right on the coast of Oregon at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting, but I'll have the live tracker on me. I may be moving around depending on the herds of people or the or the clouds or something like that. So it's a, it's a travel week for you and I, but here we are, like soldiers, continuing on. Like soldiers, coding, radioing. So are you are you at a family? So you, are you like, are you bumming family Wi-Fi right now and you got like a makeshift headset? Is that what's going on? I have a Logitech headset from Staples. The finest $40 headset you can purchase. <laughs> oh, man. You know, uh, when, when all else fails, I guess it's sort of nice that you can at least run down, get something that's USB, and plug it in, and at least, you know, it may, it makes yeah. it work. So Makes it work. I um, Yeah, I'm, I'm actually on the old family Wi-Fi and uh, not the most generous internet service plan here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, almost every time I visit family, I'm like, I kind of want to redo their Wi-Fi. I'm like, I just want to redo their Wi-Fi and talk to them about their internet options. But uh, perhaps instead we should try talking to them about TypeScript. There's a little, sure. little bit of love over at Linux.com for TypeScript. Yeah, uh, apparently uh, the Penguins have heard the good news of TypeScript. Didn't they, didn't they get the memo that this is a Microsoft open source well, technology? Wait, you know how it is. Yeah, it's a new Microsoft world now. Microsoft loves Linux. Right. right. This, is, this is like a 
West Side Story situation right. we find ourselves in. I'm going to be sitting here writing TypeScript on Visual Studio Code on my Ubuntu desktop, SSH'd into an Azure server running Linux. Listen, I know someone who like did that this morning. Yeah, I know it is the it is the new world. I'm yeah. still a little uncomfortable with it, but uh, I'm I'm learning. I'm learning. It it is an int- Microsoft loves Linux. What this really said to me though is that this is the um, sort of continued momentum that seems to be picking up for TypeScript. Like just when when you thought like TypeScript was down, uh, it keeps coming back. And uh, I don't think it was ever down. So I, well, we talk, I felt we like talk. it was like I felt like it was well not down, but. Uh, I don't know. I guess I felt like you and I were sort of skeptical that long term it was really necessary. Well, you know what happened, right? A lot of the TypeScript ways of handling classes and, uh, you know, just like some of the TypeScript features ended up getting adopted in JavaScript. Yeah. Well, and I suppose, too, that uh, when you have a massive company like Microsoft behind something like this, they can sink quite a bit of time and just keep making it better and better. So it just gets more and more competitive, too. It's going to turn more and more people onto it. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, this show has been going on for a long time, right? We've talked about CoffeeScript, um, ClojureScript. I mean, put get a noun, put script behind it, and we're good to go here. <laughs> it seems like TypeScript have, has just one, right? Like TypeScript has, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I still hear a lot about ClojureScript, but like not nearly as much, right, as I think TypeScript. And CoffeeScript is in the Rails ghetto, which... I know we don't have as a topic today, but how the worm has turned on the gold MacBook Ruby hipsters. Yeah, the whole the, – the, I think I think we must have both seen that article about the death yeah, – the, the quote-unquote death yeah. of Ruby or whatever it was. <clears throat> yeah. That's just – yeah, it's just – you know I what? Can, other I saw that. It seemed like hyperbole a little bit. To call, to call the, re- the death of Ruby seems sort of like saying that Apple's going out of business. Well, or, it's never – Maybe more accurate, Microsoft is going out of business. But I've been spending a good deal of time – I would say within the last six months of updating a bunch of Rails 2 apps to Rails 5. So there's like big enterprises who went with Rails. And let me tell you something. They're going to be riding on those Rails for a long time. Mm. Those apps are going to outlive all of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So look at look at Microsoft, though, getting the love here from Linux.com. So this is a whole introduction to TypeScript, a whole setup for it here. Uh, and then a comparison to CoffeeScript, amongst others. And then sort of a, a case for why TypeScript. Can I make a crazy comparison? Yeah, go for it. I love those. Vala. Yeah. Right. I feel like TypeScript is Vala, but useful. <laughs> oh, or or um, popular. Ooh. Widely used. Uh, known people, please send your hatred to. Mostly now just elementary OS folks. Um, but yeah, okay. Right, I... Uh, I will leave that. I will. Uh, I will. Uh, I was just reading through here. He has a he has a software engineering and consult- consulting firm. So I was just going to say I might leave a link to hit to that in the show notes too, in case people want to check it out. Yeah, check it out. Do you know what um what you might write in TypeScript, Chris? What's that? What's that? An Electron app such as Atom. Yeah. So this is a thing. Um, Atom one dot one nine is out, and the really big feature that they put the top thing big like heading three font improved responsiveness and memory usage it introduces a native c++ text buffer implementation that improves responsiveness and memory usage saving a file now happens asynchronously without blocking the ui which <laughs> that's nice and <laughs> that's, uh, that's good we like yeah, that large files now consume less memory also nice 
Um, <clears throat> you think there's a reason that they're really stressing the performance aspect of it, and that's something they really focused on in this release? You think there's maybe uh, maybe some baggage yeah. when you're an Electron okay. app there? So I now code in Visual Studio Code pretty much all the time, which is also an Electron app. Hmm, okay. I tried Adam several times, as past listeners will know. For whatever reason, Adam was always significantly slower for me. Uh, so it's interesting to see them focus on that because people would tell me that I'm crazy, that there's no like discernible, discernible difference between the two. Not been the case. I know Microsoft, which again does Visual Studio Code, does have some like their own crazy performance optimizations. Um, it's nice to see GitHub do the same thing. GitHub is the publisher of Adam. I do wonder though. I, I guess I have to question the choice of C++. I, you know, there was another C derivative language they could have picked. <laughs> I, that's where you go with this. I thought it was sort of interesting that they had that they had to go C, they had to go C to to really make their system more responsive. Um, so, because I I I hate to be that Electron hater. I think it's lazy to hate on Electron. I think you it do it is, every week, so you must like it. But keep uh, I think it's inconsiderate of the broader market dynamics of releasing software for multiple platforms. Um, and so that's why I was quick to jump on this this post here by Mo, and it's in defense of Electron. Now, I'm not saying I agree with everything in this article because. Part of it is, is part of his perspective is, ah, you know, users, what do they know? It's more important what feels good to the developer. And I'm, uh, okay, well, I don't really completely agree with that. But I do agree with the business case. Uh, and he thinks, and I, I agree, that uh, while, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it is controversial, a new company without a lot of resources has barely enough really momentum to even enter mm-hmm. a marketplace to begin with. And three independent code bases is just literally ridiculous. It's too many to right. maintain. You just can't do it. And every time you make a change, you have to make it across three different code bases, which yeah. is a monster project. Um, and it's almost just easier to say, sorry, we're just not going to ship for that platform. And that, and that would be Linux in like every case, and then Mac and right. most other cases. And so the worst case on Linux is you know you ship an Electron app, and um, a percentage of the user base is sorry, I don't use Electron, I'm not going to use it. But uh, but probably the majority of the user base on Linux at least gets the app versus no one getting it. So that's sort of the other unspoken compromise with Electron is yeah, it probably pisses some people off, and some people only have four gigs of RAM, and one Electron app can eat almost all that up. But on the other side, um, there is a huge percentage of Linux users that now have an application that they didn't have, and they don't care about that. Right. I mean, all right, so there's a couple of things here, right? A shittily coded Electron app will eat a lot of memory, right? A, on average, it is true, a good Electron app versus a good native app, the native app is going to win in terms of performance and memory usage hand down. But... You should be able to somewhat manage the performance of your Electron app, right? Like, you shouldn't consume 4 gigs of RAM immediately um, unless you're doing something crazy or stupid. And I would even take a step further. If you really have those data processing or performance needs, then you should probably be offloading that to a server somewhere, right? Use something like uh, uh, Lambda from AWS if you're doing, like, heavy data processing or... Microsoft Functions on Azure, whatever the hell they call it, or Google just launched one uh, relatively recently. Um, because, you know, there are such a thing as servers that can do your hardcore data processing if you need them to. 
or you're probably just writing crappy code that's not performing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, unfortunately, the reality is always kind of banal, right? It's kind of like, yeah, you didn't do a good job. You know, now, I, 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 yeah, I, feel, I feel like I'm going to get some crap for saying this, but honestly... Yeah, see, I, now that I've switched like to Linux effectively full-time, except, of course, the only laptop I have with me is a Mac, because thank you, TSA... Um, I don't know how I would without Electron. Right, exactly. That's right. where I'm at too. It's like, like this is this is pretty much critical to to get me getting my work done. Like I, I guess I would drop VS Code and go to Vim again. Yeah, I or maybe could. Sublime. I mean, I used to use Sublime. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's, I mean, I mean, and I could, I could, I could, I could run a few of these in in, in the web browser, but then I'm just eating resources that which way. is the same thing though right people yeah. who are like oh run web apps oh i don't like electron it's like the same and the thing is is this allows me to isolate out these even further so like i feel like if my browser goes down or i want to close my browser for some reason you know it doesn't take out slack or skype sort of like when google play music burns your entire chrome instance the ground mm-hmm. and so yeah. uh you know i and this is the part that i'm probably people are going to think I'm, I'm just an idiot for but i just build my linux system with this in mind like i this is the reality of 2017 this is what I consider maybe Linux's desktop tax. If I'm going to use Linux as a desktop workstation and I want abundant performance, I, I absolute minimum is 16 gigs of RAM. And if it's a if it's a PC where I can control how much RAM I have in it, uh, I I put 32. I put I absolutely put 32. And if I could afford, I'd put Do 64. Do you really need it? I mean, so right now because the only machine I have on me is that 13 inch little MacBook I have. It's only got 8 gigs of RAM. I think it's like a, the bottom i5. And you know what? It's running everything fine. My my Lemur has 16 and an i7. It runs everything more than fine. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I only really, really need it when I start running like a server process in the back end and virtualization and maybe a couple sure. of containers. And then it starts – It's but the, but this is – it's this is uh, this is sort of this is sort of like why I I tend to refill my RV gas tank at half a tank. I want to have plenty of runway, and so I want to be able to run three or four um, electron apps along with virtual machines and other things that I consider useful for my workflow, but could take up a considerable amount of RAM. I want to run them without having to really worry about it or without having to get slowed down. And it, to me, it's a one-time purchase. It's a one-time purchase for, of extra RAM that isn't that crazy expensive, unless you're buying a Mac. And I was gonna say yeah, and you can just do it later too. Mac, yeah, that's RAM is, that, and yeah. it's so it's like you're you're set. You're just set. Your system's set. You don't have to worry about this. Now it's not possible for everybody, obviously, but that also Electron apps aren't for everybody. I I kind of feel like it's it's one of these arguments that we've gotten locked into that discourages developers from using the platform, which holds back applications to end users, all because a bunch of neckbeards want to argue about RAM usage. It's sort of the same group of people that would like to sit around and argue about defragging a hard drive, or if it's better to leave your system powered on 24-7, or turn it off. Like, that, that same group of people, because I'm one of them, that like to argue that stuff, are the same type of people that are influenced the conversation about the memory usage of Electron, but now everyone's so hyper-connected with Twitter and Reddit and Hacker News, etc., etc., Stack Exchange, etc. All these places where you have these neckbeards coming in here and shitting on every great idea that somebody comes up with and bursting bubbles left and right. And I, I have spoken now to people that I can't say their names, but they're people that you would know their names. I know that's a really debug thing to say, but honestly, I just can't say. And 
I know this to be a 100% fact across multiple projects that this is killing their momentum and enthusiasm now. And I've had, because I've been talking about this on air, on user air, and I've been getting contacted by people saying, yeah, everything you just said plus, and they're names that legitimately people know. This is really having a big impact. And I grant you that Electron isn't ideal, but I think people are used to having technological debates on Usenet and no one in the rest of the actual world ever seeing them. And now we're having these same discussions in places where everyone else is also at, and it is having an impact. It, we shouldn't be talking about this anymore. We should have just let the market figure it out. We, well, we could have just let people you know, ship apps instead of shouting down at people. Uh, all right, I'm off yeah, my soapbox about it. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I'm good. It's, it's funny because the people, I mean, people I tend to hang out with kind of by default um this is not an open question even among the technical people like electron one effectively um because it makes sense from a business business perspective right <laughs> no one wants to maintain three code bases yeah and if you would if you are the it manager or the director of technology and you happen to like linux it is a lot easier to convince your CEO that Electron's okay to use than to get him to triple his investment on his custom piece of software. A lot of people, though, will uh, say, you know, hey, Electron, flash for the desktop. Why does it take so much RAM? What is Slack doing? Uh, you know, the thing about Slack well, sure, is... Slack has some crazy stuff they're doing. Yeah, and the thing is, like, is, it kills you in your web browser, too. It's... Right. Yeah. Like, this is what I used to tell people when they would, like, be worried about running Rails. You are not Twitter. So let's update it. You are not Slack. Your needs will never hit that level. You are not Slack. Yeah. It's just, I mean, think, let's just think about Node.js for, for like a second, right? Which I laughed at for how many years. And I have, have tens of thousands of lines of Node.js code that I'm shipping. Because you know what? Eventually the technology gets better, right? It matures, patterns developed, standards come into play. The same thing is happening with Electron. And, you know, we mentioned Slack. Slack actually recontributes to the Electron uh, open source project all the time. Mm. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think they contributed most of the OS. Uh, OS. We're not supposed to call it OS ten anymore. Oh, yeah, Mac. right. Yeah, it's now Mac, it's now Mac OS or Mac OS. Little MOS. Mac all OS. the native notification tie. Macoose? It's Macoose. Which, Macoose. Because they are wise and powerful, they wrote an Objective-C. I got <laughs> Give you a ding for that. There you go. Thank yeah. You. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just I don't I guess, you know, like I've read the the hacker news comments and I don't get it. Because the, the alternative isn't that everybody writes a native cute application, right? The alternative is you don't get this on Linux or and in many cases Mac. Mm-hmm. Right? That that is the because you know, we're I do feel like we're in a little bit of a bubble here because you know, even like Mac is common. Mac is still only like 10% of the market, guys. Like Everybody's running Windows 7 or Windows 10. It's weird that nobody's yeah. running Windows 8 well, a lot of the, A lot of the people that are making the software on the Mac, though. So that's, yeah, but, well, you know, that, that sort of benefits the platform because then they, well, I want to use it, so they, they want, they're compelled to release it for the platform they're on. That's fair. I mean, okay, so let's all whip, whip out our Swift. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't yeah. think so uh i'm too busy running perfect on my uh on my web servers anyways so i don't need swift for the desktop no thanks i'm gonna write my uh, could you uh, at least run the one that i sponsor i'm gonna paper? i'm gonna write I mean, my machine learning with right to metal 
and uh, it's going to all be uh, done in Swift. <laughs> and then when when uh, Core ML Kit never gets updated next year, just like how many other things? Yeah, yeah it's going to suck. Yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of the server side, let's talk about DigitalOcean for sponsor here on the Coder Radio program this week. DigitalOcean.com. Create an account and use our promo code CoderDigital. One word. You apply it. After you've created your account, you get a $10 credit. You can spin up a droplet in less than 55 seconds. Full-fledged, full you'll be logged in, doing your thing. It's super fast because they use SSDs everywhere for all of the systems. One of the other things that's fantastic about it is they have 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors, which means your internet connection's crazy fast. You combine that with the really fast SSD performance. But the other thing is something we don't mention very often but very nice about it is when you use their private networking, A, if it's within the same data center, you don't pay for transfer. And B, you're getting their LAN speeds there. So that makes things like backups or connecting to a back-end database. Imagine you put a front-end engine Xbox, and then it connects to your back-end systems. All that's over private networking. Those aren't exposed to the public internet. You're not getting dinged for any transfer rate, and it's using their LAN speed. You could really scale that out. And they have highly available storage that you can attach to your droplet as you need it. You can create team accounts if you're growing. A really simple API that DigitalOcean themselves builds on top of that you can use. And monitoring alerting, which I find to be extremely valuable. I don't really have any problems with DigitalOcean's uptime, but keeping track of our droplet usage is extremely valuable. And this does both. It'll collect metrics, monitor performance, and send alerts if something's going down. They have load balancing as well. And they've recently introduced high CPU droplets for those compute-intensive tasks. So check that out as well. And I'll just give a plug for some of their great documentation too. This is nice because you can deploy an entire stack on DigitalOcean, just something that's just totally ready to go. Or you could just deploy a base system or just mess around if you want to learn. And they have really good documentation for that scenario. This one I'm going to just uh, point you to an introduction to continuous integration, delivery, and you guessed it, deployment. That's just a free tutorial over there, digitalocean.com. Digitalocean.com, create your account and then use our promo code of power, Coder Digital. That supports the show, keeps us going, and gives you a $10 credit, Coder Digital, over at digitalocean.com. So, let's revisit the topic of stand-ups for a moment. Um... Something, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. My, uh, my, uh, my echo started dinging at me right in the middle of the show. Alexa heard you. She did. Cancel. So tell me, what's going on? What's, what are your current thoughts? How is Mike evolved on stand-ups? Uh, should we burn them with fire? Should we throw coals so, on them? I still hate them. But I found out why I hate them. That's interesting. It's because I have never seen them done correctly. Sure, sure, because they can't be done. And I was reading this old post on PM, uh, the Stack Overflow for product managers. God, you're old. I know. I really am. There is a comment there where I think this person in one paragraph solves the entire question. Oh, really? The problem is most stand-ups are done as status meetings and they're project manager-centric rather than what they were intended to be. So imagine a stand-up where it was acceptable to say the following, and you might want to say this nicer. It has been less than 24 hours. I have no idea how long this is going to take. I don't know if I have any blockers because I don't have a proposed solution. So, yeah, that's my update. I like that. It's very, it's very clear. But you can't say that. 
Well, why can't you? If you well, you can't because one, that's not going to be good enough for any PM. What are we paying right? for? <laughs> no, that's going to come off as flippant, right? Yeah. And also, there's always the counterproductive alpha dog developer who's going to try to come in and quote unquote help you. Right, because they're oh, going to show how true. awesome they are. Yeah, that's true. And that's not even to hurt you, right? Like the worst kind of the kind is like, yes, and I think I deserve a promotion because I'm a mentor. Like, dude, no one should ever volunteer to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone asks you for help, that's one thing. But because you know, the truth is, if something's hard enough, one day just may not be enough to come up with a proper plan. Right, and stand up impl- implies that there's no such thing as a problem. I'm, I'm particularly talking about daily standups here, mm-hmm. that there's no such thing as a problem that requires any kind of like architecture or, right. you know, maybe Some problems are longer than 24 than hour problems to solve. They right. take more than 24 hours. It also hours. assumes that you have like no other meetings and no other work other than that. Problem. In fact, just figuring out the problem can take just before you even begun to figure out what a fix could right. be, just tracking down the extent of the problem can be more than 24 hours. Right, and I think the bottom line comes down to, in the 10 years I've been doing this, every PM I've ever worked with, including myself, right, when I'm managing the projects, has treated stand-up as effectively a report meeting, right, a status report meeting. Business? Right, and they've used it as a metric to grade the developers. So what often happens is, well, I'm going to say often, but sometimes can happen, is the developer who knows all the right talking points and how to kind of play the game a little better will do better. Then, and I've seen this in my own organizations, that you have to be very careful of the, let's not call him Ruby Hipster, but the guy who is a little more suave, a little more, you know... Better at communicating. Remembers the PM's birthday. You know, that, that. Well, people that are better at getting also fired up about an idea, too, and presenting it in a way that sort of rubs off his passion a little bit. Like, this person's really excited. Like, that kind of gets people going, too. Like, if you can just be a good communicator in a group setting like yeah, that. Yeah. I, I, so I went on this kind of vision quest of trying to figure out, like, what was the original purpose of stand-up? In the so swamps much to the point, of Florida. In the swamps of Florida. So much to the point that I ended up reading the original Agile Manifesto, where they don't appear. And I just kept reading, you know, extreme programming. And what I found is that daily stand-ups were never intended. The idea of a daily, everyday stand-up per project is a perversion. Really? Give me, give me the they science were, here. What's the science? The science is if you just Google it. If you look back at some of the, the leaders of the Agile movement... It was always sort of like a weekly thing, oh, which okay. then makes the entire structure just make a lot more sense, right? It just – it makes so much more sense to do this weekly. So is daily something that came about as PMOs just need to get a tighter and tighter grip on what's going on? Right. So I have a theory because I, then I started looking at sure. dates on publication. I would imagine you must. I do. It's crazy. <laughs> but, and, but I think I can support it and I think I'm going to okay. write a very long essay about it. I like this. As offshoring and remote teams became more popular, there is a linear correlation in organizations adopting daily standups. Okay, now give it to so is, oh, of course. Right. 
Of but course, the problem because is you've got this team that's offside. It's out. It, it's maybe one of your first big development teams that isn't there in the office because this is a while ago. So people are moving different time zones, communication barriers. Right. You really have a much harder time of keeping track of what's going on compared to previously. Right. This is good, Mike. I like that. But, but the, and this is where this is where it all falls apart. Okay. The expectation and the structure of the stand-up, right? So when you go through a stand-up, I'm just going to give you like a very boring, like what most PMs will do. Hi, Mike, or hi, Chris. How's it going? Chris says, blah, 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 blah. Awkward silence for five seconds, right? So do you have any blockers? Right. Now, you have a choice. One, how do you define blocker? Is you just don't know how to solve the problem yet? Is that really a blocker? Because then you probably have a blocker every day. Right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> just mm-hmm. something you don't know how to do that you just have to google um but if you say you have a blocker well who can we coordinate a meeting with to fix that yeah wah, wah, wah. right because now the pmo's got a problem to solve right and now the pmo has a metric that he or she can measure yeah yep and that i will argue that structure actually makes sense if the developer has had significant time to work on the problem hmm. but if it's every day you're never hitting you just, I mean, I mean, you know how it is. Somebody calls, you get an email. Oh, you, you're you're not pr- producing for eight hours a day. No, it's, right? it can be, and that it can make such a such a stressful situation where there's you go into your day thinking I'm going to get X amount of work done, and then emails, and for me it's email, Telegram, and Slacks yeah. that just. By the time I get done answering all the telegrams, I've got new slacks. And by the time I get done answering all the slacks, I've got these emails. And all of them, it's somebody waiting to move forward. And I look down. I'm like, well, crap, it's already 1 o'clock. Like, I got I got to just, yeah. like, stand up for a little bit and just, like, try to get as much work done as I possibly can. And, of course, I got to be out of here by 5 because I got to go pick up the kids. And, like, it's just you have kids. It's right. super stressful. So, so how have a developers adapted to this new situation? Keep your head down. Don't draw attention to yourself. Right, <laughs> right. right. So ironically, and this this is my thesis here, the daily stand-up has created the lack of transparency problem it was trying to solve. Because instead of like incidental lack of transparency, because you're not in the same room, mm. you have intentional lack of transparency. Because you know what? No one wants to be on a remote team and say, listen, man, um, I'm working, but my stomach hurts. So yes, I'm working, but I really don't know how far I'm going to get today. Would it all be would it all be solved? I know this isn't possible, but would it all just be solved if uh, everyone working on a project could just read and write the code, and like they could just look at it themselves? They could build it on their local machine and check it out. They could they could read the bugs. Like, wouldn't it just be easier if everybody working on a software project just knew how to write software? I know that's impossible, but imagine for a moment that everyone and maybe it's only get this, maybe it's only a team of three people. I know this is insane. Maybe it's only a team of four people, and and they all know how to read and write software. Wouldn't that be so, so much easier? So I think there is a role for like a, a PM who's more of a customer champion type person, who's someone who is stronger on the written and verbal communication side, um, yes. but maybe not yeah. so technical. Especially as the size of the company scales. That's why I know it's impossible. Right. I I do challenge a few things though, right? Like QA engineers who can't actually like pull a server log or do any kind of scripting, like that. I would say, well, actually, that person probably doesn't need to be in the status meetings or the standups um, because they kind of muddy the water 
This is interesting. So you have, I mean, I, I wonder if it's possible to attribute all of this to your, to your thesis here, but so, so this, so this sort of overdoing it on transparency caused a pendulum swinging back effect of developers keeping their heads down and actually creating things more opaque than transparent. Uh, and you have to imagine it's, it's, it's probably not just one dynamic doing it, but that, that really does seem like it could play a role because the, the problem you have, and I, I, I absolutely ran into this was uh, you all you never knew where to draw the line and they would always tell you to draw the line a lot further back than you'd think. So, for example, uh, I got pushed back into a corner. I've told a story before where I've had to submit change control requests and go to committee meetings twice to two of them to, to update the printer driver on an HP print server because I got backed into a corner after a series of updates that went wrong from Windows and they wanted more fine-grained control over changes that were done. So really small, you know, like changing the permissions on a share, updating drivers, that all became managed by a PMO because what ends up happening is it's it's like a it's like a it's like a branch effect. You go down a path and you identify a problem, and that branches out into them trying to propose a bunch of solutions and bring in more people, which then branches out into more problems because as you bring in more stakeholders, they have more and it it really turns into this massive amount of work that doesn't actually get any of the work I need to get done done. It's it's work that facilitates it in a sense on a political side, but it doesn't actually get the work that I need to do on right. the server done. And that right. is when that started happening, I definitely would just well what I would start what I would start doing is I would do I would do a change control for something major and I would I would write it in a legitimate way, but in there I would include as like a line item driver updates. Like I would start basically attaching writers that uh, I would just slip in under the larger bill, uh, and that was my version of keeping my head down. Is instead of actually articulating all of it for them, I just started burying it in other things that they needed to get done, and uh, that was the only way for me to really get my work done without having to attend two or three meetings to do one thing. Yeah, I, I think I think that's what what happened, right? Because there, you know, organizations have a bad habit, particularly large ones of when something bad happens, they develop a process to make sure it never happens again. Except that process itself has a, has a weight to it, right? So let's take the nightmare scenario. Why are people concerned with remote developers? Because there's some opportunity for remote developers to just like simply not do the work, right? Or to like pad their timesheets or whatever. And I have actually had that happen to me. I've had people I've contracted to pad their timesheets but you just fire that person right and then the best part is if you hire them as contractors it's really easy not to pay them because there's no labor department um and that's also material fraud but big companies don't think like that a big company wouldn't say great take me to court because you committed fraud a big company would say well it's cheaper just to pay them what they're asking for and now we'll develop this this process that requires a daily check-in right and and this is where I know a lot of our listeners are writing about their PMs. I actually don't think PMs are evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have worked with one that I really don't like in the past. But if you understand the incentives, um, you know, the PM's really not trying to build anything, right? His or her job is loss mitigation. In a, it, or at least that's how it's viewed in a lot of these organizations. I agree. They're supposed to make it so that Everything the business could have done to facilitate a successful project happened. And if the project still isn't successful, 
in some organizations, they usually just blame the vendor or the developers or whoever, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So the PM will develop a process, and Agile is a process that has become very popular. So once you violate that process, like let's say you don't do the stand-ups or whatever, that's immediately a red flag for them because one, they've been told that there's a reason for this, and two, hmm. they're accountable for holding you accountable to the process. Mm-hmm. Not the actual outcome of the project, mm-hmm. but that you followed the process. Because mm-hmm. they probably didn't hire you, right? So if you suck, somebody else hired you. But anyway, that's my theory, that it was a good idea perverted by insecurities and in, uh, in terms of working with remote and offshore teams. And we went from weekly to daily. And I would actually challenge you, if you're a PM out there, or better yet, if you're a CTO, try it. And, and I've been doing this. Just try it. Go weekly for a month. I think you'll have better morale. And by the way, if you do have a bad apple who's robbing you or who is just shitty, it will be so much more obvious. Because if, if it's a week and they have nothing to say in that meeting, then now you know. But if it's a day, it's super reasonable for, hey, you're booking me down with meetings. Yeah. That's that's good. I like that. That's a good theory here laid out on the Coder Radio program. And it definitely feels like it uh, at least my memory matches that sort of same timeline of as outsourcing grew, these processes grew. Uh, yeah, good one. I like that. You know, Mike's talked a lot about some of these things, like like these different processes, like Ruby, and there's a way you can learn more. And that's our second sponsor, linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's where you go to support the show. And you'll get access to over 1,200 hours of in-depth video content, lab material, flashcards, hands-on training, and... Instructor mentoring when you need it. How great is that? How great is instructor mentoring when you need it? They have uh, topics that range the base Linux stuff that's like uh, essentials that if you're maybe moving over to Linux platform or you realize you need to know more about Linux or you have a job that perhaps wants you to know more about Linux, you want to challenge yourself, they've got great courseware on that. But then they'll go up the stack too. Google Cloud Platform, AWS, OpenStack, Azure, big data topics, containers, the DevOps, Black Hole. It's it's a really great platform. And it gives you a bunch of tools and hands-on scenario labs, course schedulers that can match a busy schedule, learning paths if you want to go down a series of courses planned by their instructors for like specific career tracks. Also, speaking of specifics, if you're going for certifications, they have courses created specifically to prepare you for those exams. The community full of Jupiter Broadcasting members, like I always say, but I mention that because, oh, they got forkable flashcards, like some sort of like open source project up in there where people just make the study cards better and better. They have offline study guides and tools, iOS and Android apps. What a platform. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Also, if you're doing AWS, check out the Orion Papers. This is something Linux Academy just launched, I think, t- today or recently. LinuxAcademy.com slash Orion Papers. It's a tool built by their AWS instructor, Tom, who was himself a student, obviously, at one point, and decided to create something that would help students understand the concepts that they're being taught around AWS. It looks like a really great project. LinuxAcademy.com slash Orion Papers, if you want to check that out. But support the show by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. Thanks, Linux Academy. Mr. Dominic, you uh, you tweeted an article earlier. Uh, was it today? <laughs> yes, it was. A little bit before the show started. Uh, 
write drunk and edit sober. According to science, Ernest Hemingway was actually on to something. Well, I guess his old uh, his old uh, saying is that he used to write uh, drunk and then he would edit himself uh, sober. Well, it turns out that uh, someone's done a little science to uh, show that this actually has some real sound reasoning behind it. And they link to the science behind writing your code drunk or perhaps an, uh, maybe maybe a book uh, and then editing it sober. And they talk about the creativity process with alcohol. They talk about how much alcohol, why some too, some too much is bad, what, why you do need some. Uh, anyways, if you ever needed an excuse to have a few drinks at lunch and then go back and bang out some code, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> you know, I think we've all hit the Palmer peak. Yes. Oh, man. Uh, and, and do send that to your PM along with the rest of this episode you, and see what they say. Do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, honestly, do you have any thoughts the, on this? Because I've noticed it, it with actual writing, like if I'm writing something for yeah. a show, it does actually help sometimes, but I don't, it's not like a tool I go to. Be honest. Yeah, man. it's, <laughs> I, I, I can never say that I have engineered that situation. No. But you've, you've found yourself in that situation. Have you noticed any boosting creativity? So I would say there's a high correlation between coding early in the morning or at night. But actually, no, because early in the morning, it's coffee. Mm, yeah. So yeah. I, I – mm, You know what I've I been – say no. It's interesting yeah. you say that because I've been getting in the sweet zone. Uh, in fact, today I did so good. I didn't even open up Slack or Telegram until uh, – or email until 11 a.m. And that felt that felt really good. And because I've been finding that if I if I somehow get a good night's sleep, like when that happens, if I get up like around six thirty, and uh, you know after I just kind of shake it off, and I don't, and I just get some water, I don't eat, I don't have any caffeine or nothing like that, uh, and I just sit down at my computer, I can start. I can start cranking through like a, a deep, long article that I need to read for a show, or I can write out a whole bunch of notes. Like I can crank stuff out so fast. I could also, if I wanted to, I could, I could plug through a ton of emails and telegrams, but I, I try not to because that can be very draining and sometimes upsetting. But I've been finding mornings are like this peak cognitive work time for me if I get a good night's sleep and I, I avoid all pretty much human contact except for my significant other. Um, and then... In the afternoon, sort of like post-lunch or post-coder radio, say if it's like a Thursday, I then sort of switch over to more socializing on my emails, on the telegrams, catching up with people, answering questions, that kind of stuff, which is like a lower – requires less brain power. And so I can be more like ADD when I'm doing it and uh, no no alcohol involved. Just just timing the types of work I do has, has made a big difference for me. And just sort of realizing that I'm a little better at doing some work in the morning and I'm kind of better or more suited to do other types of work in the afternoon and just going with it. That's been good. And there you go. That's all you have for you That's all you have? Okay. Well, I don't, so, I don't uh, have much. I mean, I... It's good. It's okay. How's I can't the, say it never happened. How's Alice? Right, I, how's Alice doing? Give us a little Alice update before we Alice go. is good. She she was on beta news because I saw that. You know, I gave that little mention uh, in the Unplugged program recently. I did. I, oh, I love Unplugged. I I'm always behind, but I will listen to it. Um, no, good. I um, you know I'm I'm at an awkward point. Close our first couple sales. Oh, good. So that's, that's good. Um, trying to get this set up as a recurring SaaS model. 
which is different than what I originally thought. So that should hopefully be out by next week. Hmm. And uh, yeah, um, reevaluating the whole remote work thing, the off the having no office space. I think we're going to do a hybrid. Oh, really? What is a hybrid? Hybrid. I'm looking at one of these co-working oh, places. Oh, sure, for like sure. Because one of the problems is I'm I need to hire in a sales development rep, and you know th- those roles require about like a four week onboarding, right? Mm-hmm. So that's just probably too hard to do remote, especially because it's not really my field. So and this would I be like a, the- like a like would it be a would it be an assigned space or would it be like you go in here whatever space is available you get to have it for the day when you're in. So I'm talking to a few. Um, it varies. The ones I seem to be preferring are they're like assigned for three months, but they're small. But it's completely furnished. Like they do all like these stuff about like coffee and you know like oh, the like amenities, the, like the furniture, like the desks and do yeah, and chairs it's, it's too. Like and stuff? it's very small, but also like relatively affordable that's one of the worst things about getting in offices if if you don't have furniture for it that's such a sink such a sink and you end up buying crap and it's terrible yeah and the other problem is of course that you have a lease and like i don't love dealing with real estate people no no boy that sounds like a great that sounds great really i tell you yeah every now and then we've toyed with the idea of not having a physical uh space um, but cause you know, it's really with the podcast well, network, you could, but it's so it's with production. It's so nice to have a good static environment that just, just yeah. makes a lot of sense. So well, I try to not have it, but I'm, I'm getting very quickly yeah. overwhelmed with all the work Yeah, and the easiest and most cost effective thing for me to, to hand to somebody else is going to be like the sales type. Uh, and if stuff. it's, if it's not, if it's not too expensive and you can swing it, just knowing that you have a space you can go to. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm looking at places that are like 300, 250 a month. Like, hmm. we're not talking a lot here. Hmm. Um, but the, their deal is they're contingency spaces. So if you keep it for more than like 12 months, they throw you out. Because it's like a, it's a weird situation where, like, in, if you're interested in something like this, I'd recommend you look to your local government. Because a lot of counties will subsidize these. So they really like cost 500. Huh. But what happens is it's it's like a small pay, business subsidy or something where they're trying right, to right. It's a tech startup incubator, but I'm I would only just be renting the space. Like hmm. that's it. That's so, interesting. It is yeah. That'll be a pretty good, just, pretty good pretty good compromise. Well, because the other thing I'm afraid of is if I rent a real office, it's going to be much bigger than what I'm looking at. Hmm. It's going to be much more money, and then I'm going to feel that weird gravitational pull of now I have an office. Now, if you want to work for me, you have to work in Plant City, Florida. Yeah. Oh, but I travel like half the year, so what's the point? Plus, it's like another minimum amount of revenue you have to always be bringing in right. to pay for that thing. And, I, and I, I can't express how little I like real estate people. Like, I, <laughs> no like, offense to you real estate agents driving around listening right now. We love you. It's mostly like people who like buy buildings. Yeah. They they turn in – like every office I've ever had has had a pipe explode and flooded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And like – People are really good at collecting rent. Or the rent, AC on the roof bad. starts leaking. You know, there's always that. Right. One. Yeah. Right. Like, really good at collecting rent, really bad about preventing water damage. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then when you move out, they're always like, oh, we need to inspect it. I'm like, yeah, we're a computer company. What do you think happened? <laughs> like, did, did like an Ethernet cable get stuck? What? So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're not going to go back into my 10 years of disliking. Well, so that'll be. I'd be kind of curious to know how that goes if you land on something. And I guess um, next week you'll be on the road again. Uh, so we'll do one more road show next week. 
And yeah, and then I'm back in Florida, so. Yeah, very good. Very good. I will I will be back and and total totally eclipsed out. Uh when I I will have seen I will have seen the cosmos and by the oh. next time we see we see each other. Don't you see that like every day though, Chris? I mean, come on. I guess it's supposed to be pretty I guess if you actually were able to go to where there's an actual 100% legit total eclipse, I guess you're actually supposed to be able to see quite a bit than more than you the more than you'd think than you can normally see. I don't know. Oh, I was just commenting on your drug use again. Um, wow, my wow, wow! You're the one that have the alcohol article in here. You're, jeez Louise. Anyways, maybe I'm going to come back and I'm going to uh, be enlightened. Alcohol is not a drug, according to Jeff Sessions. <laughs> you should be nice to me. You should be nice to me because I, I might come back enlightened now, and that could be valuable. I could be like I could start like you know advising you as an enlightened uh, uh, being. Yeah. You're going to start writing Swift. I can hear it already. <laughs> All right, Mr. Dominic, anywhere you want to send people throughout the week. Uh, go to themadbotter.com and follow at themadbotterinc. Of course, of course. Also follow Jupiter Broadcasting Network at Jupiter Signal. Support the whole network, patreon.com slash Signal. We'll often post live versions of our shows when YouTube allows up there. And also, there is a new Patreon-exclusive podcast posted on our Jupiter Signal Patreon page as well. Join us next week for the live show, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for that. Send us your feedback at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and join our subreddit at coderadio.reddit.com. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next week. <laughs>